So I think DeFi showed technologically, if you use a blockchain, we can do this costless and we can do this instant. But can you do it costless and instant if you're still trying to protect against crime and if you're trying to, um, in some, apply compliance with these AML and counter-terrorist financing policies? You're listening to Crypto Savvy, the show that demystifies digital assets and uncovers all things cryptocurrency. Brought to you by the Hashkey Group, a leader in financial technology and digital asset management. Crypto Savvy, the essentials. Today, we want to flip it over and look at centralized finance. We'll be speaking with Benedict Nolans, who is head of the Innovation Hub at the Bank of International Settlements. How are these central bankers responding to the technology challenges posed by crypto, DeFi, and more? So somebody with a background in banking innovation now counseling the central bankers, we welcome to crypto savvy Benedict Nolans. Thank you so much for joining the show, Benedict Nolans. Welcome to Crypto Savvy. Hello, thank you for having me. Benedict, to kick things off, can you introduce us to the Bank of International Settlements? I understand it is a banker's bank, but maybe you can tell us a bit more. So it's actually a central banker's bank, not just a banker's bank. So um, in some of the Bank for International Settlements is really a membership-based organization of 63 uh, global central banks. Um, and the global central banks interact through the BIS on many different matters, but it includes policy setting, uh, research, and also now recently innovation. Uh, for those of our listeners who hadn't thought about this before, uh, can you kind of give us a quick introduction to what is a central bank and kind of its <laughs> role in a, in a nation? Each country would have one. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think in the context of crypto, something often forgotten. Anyway, the, the central bank, actually, its main object is always to ensure financial stability. As you know, at some stage, we did have the global financial crisis, which was a financial stability issue. So central banks are there to keep economies running. And they do that through a variety of, of, their, of their powers. And these powers in turn interlink with uh, the currency, so-called monetary policy. So every, every single country that has their own currency has a central bank in charge of that currency and the monetary policy around that currency and ensuring financial stability. You would also say an important role that people often forget is that central banks are in, in charge of ensuring that there's proper credit in the economy circulating through the banks. Uh, and these things all interlink, right? If you have a shock on the banks, then you have a shock on credit, then you have a shock on the economy. So in some, that's the role of central banks. And historically, you've served as also a bit of a clearinghouse for transactions between central banks. So um, if you're in Malaysia and your central bank needs to deal with the Philippines, uh, would that transfer through BIS? Uh, actually not. So we're it's it's a bit of a confusing uh, wording. So bank, bank for International Settlements is actually not a bank for the settlement of financial transactions. In fact, uh, this, this um, institution was created created uh, in part to, to assist in restitution of ill-gotten gains of war after World War II. So the settlement uh, word may not necessarily relate directly to financial settlement, 
Um, but what the Bank for International Settlement does is, for example, manage the money of the central banks. And that includes uh, helping uh, on investment and also that includes, for example, uh, helping on FX transactions. Well, and even from its foundation, your work was to collaborate and cooperate with different central banks in different jurisdictions. And that's morphed today into the Innovation Hub. So can you explain to us, introduce us to the BIS Innovation Hub? And later we'll come back to your role. So yeah, so the BIS Innovation Hub is really uh, quite new. So we, we call it the newest uh, member to the BIS family. And it was uh, created um, around two years ago. So I myself have been here one and a half years uh, and I was one of the first centers. So the three first centers were Singapore, Switzerland and Hong Kong. And now we're expanding into a total of seven. So we have seven presences around the world. Um, and, and the reason we were created to this family of central banks is really because of the pace of innovation globally. Uh, and that includes for sure crypto innovation as well. Yeah, but uh, at now under BIS Innovation Hub, there's a portfolio of different types of projects uh, where you convene and assist central banks in coming together on policies such as how do we recognize each other's central bank digital currency or how do we work together on open finance in each of these major projects and have smaller um, uh, steps on the path to achieving that goal. And those projects uh, are quite significant. So can you kind of uh, unpick the innovation hub for us. And increasingly, obviously, as, as you note, currency is going digital, right? And that's what uh, cryptocurrencies are. That's what stable coins are. Uh, and so the, the main uh, question really that downs on, on central banks these days is whether they need to make their own currency digital as well. Now, we have to look at things in context, right? So on the one hand, um, you can say that um, the currency of a central bank to a large extent is already digital. Like when you do a transfer from uh, one bank to another bank, you're actually using most of the time your app, right? And these are electronic book entries. So to that extent, things are digital already. What isn't digital is, a, um, is the physical currency. So the coins and, and the bills. And if you look at the ECNY, uh, it is very clear that they're moving that same bill concept onto a digital into a digital format. Uh, so if you you look at the ECNY, it's literally the bill that you see on the app. So this is a very important uh, quest, you could say, of the central banks right now is whether they all need to move that physical bill to a digital format. Yep, and for our listeners, an ECNY is the Chinese digital yuan, uh, which is one of the more high-profile central bank digital currency uh, trials, uh, which had new emphasis on it during the Olympics. Uh, can you share some of your observations of China's progress with the central bank digital currency in that country? Yes, yeah, so I think they they proceeded to to pretty much the rollout now as part of the the Beijing Olympics, um, and there are quite some app reviews out there. Uh, it's in in some the digital one, as I mentioned, to put it very simply for people, is that um, digital banknote that, that is issued by the central bank and therefore backed by the central bank 
is is moved onto a digital format. Uh, this this yuan then, like a physical currency, is completely interoperable between different banks and different wallets, right? So the same way that my my bill can move from your wallet to my wallet, uh, and and let's say the same the same way that. Um, that it is valid globally and that it is, in fact, a claim on the central bank. That is the way that the ECNY in digital format is a claim on the central bank. Okay. And um, in uh, across the region, there are a number of uh, countries looking at uh, digital currencies and you have a few projects. Are there others beside China that you'd like to kind of profile that would help us better understand the progress that made in this region? Yeah. So within the region, actually, no one else has rolled out to my recollection a, a uh, retail CBDC. That's not been done yet. So one of the, the current problems within uh, finance, which uh, crypto in some actually rightfully highlighted, is the cost of international transfers and the time it takes to make an international transfer. So with cost, uh, actually, to be frank, it, it can be quite significant, up to 10% for smaller transfers, though less for, for larger transfers. Uh, and in terms of time uh, of transfer, it could take several days. So with the use of the same technologies that crypto highlighted, which is really uh, blockchain, are, are the so-called distributed ledger technologies, you can speed that up to, to instant. And, and that is so the, the Enbridge that we're working on is this infrastructure that could be used uh, within this region or more broadly. Um, fantastic. Now, uh, really, that then is about cooperation uh, so that you're creating standards so that uh, if I'm making a transfer from Hong Kong to the UAE or to Malaysia, that we all are working to the same standards and approaches. Is that one of your objectives? I would say that this uh, specific infrastructure is more like a... Um, it's, it's more like a faster route than the correspondent banking route. So right now, the correspondent banks actually are the ones who transfer your money from one to the other over a border. And so it can take several hops in the system, you could say. And in every hop in the system, this transfer gets KYC'd again, gets AML checked again. And, and this process is, is, in a sense, a duplication as it goes along that path. And as part of the duplication, there is also uh, the problem of, of the cost asset and of the time spent. So this infrastructure helps on that. I wouldn't want to say immediately that it is a transfer methodology for, uh, for, for very small transfers. It is highly likely more for large transfers. Okay. And just to unpick two of the terms you used, KYC is know your customer, AML, anti-money laundering. Now, many of the payment services uh, are being disrupted by decentralized finance, also known as DeFi. Um, and yet here we're talking about technology in centralized finance or CFI. Uh, what does CFI offer us that DeFi can't? Or what are the, uh, the, the, the challenges of central bankers relying on DeFi? Yeah, it's a difficult question. I, I think uh, I said what, what's, what DeFi has shown is for the transfer of money, it has shown it can be done instantly and at low cost. And that's not something that CFI was doing. CFI was not doing it instantly and at no cost. 
But the reason why CFI was not doing it um, instantly and at no cost is because of KYC. And uh, know your customer, AML, sanctions control. And then inversely, DeFi may have ignored some of that. So to make it instant and low cost, they've kind of ignored this bit. So why is this bit important? Um, I mean, I always put it very simply, but we're all familiar with 9-11 when these planes hit uh, the World Trade Center, right? So at the end of the day, the reason that globally these AML policies and these counter-terrorist financing policies exist and these controls exist and this transaction monitoring exists, the reason why is to avoid funding of, of significant terrorism, terrorist activity like that. So I would say it's a common value across humans that we don't want crime, we don't want murder, we don't want drug trade, and we don't want terrorism, right? So, and that's why these, these extensive AML policies, sanctions policies, all of these things exist really within that remit of trying to control some of the worst of crime. Now, the problem is that it's not easy. So it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of headcount. It takes a lot of systems and it causes that cost and that delay. So I think DeFi showed technologically, if you use a blockchain, we can do this costless and we can do this instant. But can you do it costless and instant if you're still trying to protect against crime and if you're trying to, um, in some, apply compliance with these AML and counter-terrorist financing policies? Now, in DeFi, there are many that are uh, working to catch up uh, by becoming regulated uh, and dealing within the similar regulatory framework as the banks that you counsel. How have the, the, the central banks been viewing the threat of DeFi within their own countries, especially the unregulated DeFi? Yeah, so I think at this stage, DeFi has gone quite further than just the transfer of money. And in some, they're doing a lot of uh, lending activity as well. So um, I, I would say that um, bank, central banks in general are mostly looking at this with much interest and trying to understand if there are uh, some new learnings that can be drawn from this or whether the technology, for example, to some extent can be used actually for um, for also CFI. So if you look at DeFi for lending purposes, what it is really doing, it is using blockchain, it is using smart contracts, um, and it is doing some kind of peer-to-peer -peer activity. These principles actually can be used, uh, you could say, in CFI as well. So I think the 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 differentiation sometimes between CFI and DeFi is focused on on. Um, is is too much centered on who's compliant and who's not. It should be it should be centered on what technology are you using? Is that technology useful? And can it be uh, also compliant? Because if that if that technology is more useful and can be made compliant, then obviously it is it is a better outcome for us all. So if you look at the evolution we just discussed from crypto to CBDC. It's already that it's central banks looking at the technology and saying, hey, this can actually be useful for our regulated finance. Equally so, some of the pooling activities and, and different activities that DeFi are undertaken, they, they can probably become compliant. And as they become uh, compliant, they can be quite useful. 
Okay, I want to pivot because we've been spending this time talking about central bank digital currency, and there are a number of projects that you highlighted earlier in our talk. Uh, one was green finance, and, and you've been particularly active here in Hong Kong. Do you want to explain to us a bit more about why the Innovation Hub is focused on green finance and some of the projects you've been involved in? Yes. So, um, in fact, uh, personally, I think green finance is really very important. So I, I think there are some uh, mega trends, you could say, that that actually started a long time ago, but that we're only now really fully recognizing. One is this technology trend that we just highlighted, right? The speed of technology change and all these new technologies coming around. Um, but but the second is indeed the need uh, for humanity to become more green or else uh, have some severe consequences of, of our own actions. So we decided that um, other than focusing on CBDC and payments in our center, we would also focus indeed on green finance. And so we undertook the first green finance project, which was to tokenize. So again, we used blockchain. We use blockchain to tokenize um, in, in a prototype format uh, government green bonds for distribution to retail investors. So the whole proposition was also that if we um, tokenize it to very small numbers, we can have broader investment by the, by the uh, retail community. And this broader investment can also lead to a lot more community engagement into the, real in, into the green topic. Now, the, the other thing is that on the uh, application that we actually designed, the investors can transparently see what that bond was invested in and what the green outputs are. So in our assumption here, they are invested into a solar farm. The solar farm produces um, in some renewable energy. That renewable energy can get translated into carbon credits. And it's visible on the app how much of this uh, renewable energy has been created. That last bit, again, is done with blockchain. So the tokenization is done with blockchain. The tracking of the renewable output is also done with blockchain and is then combined in our prototype onto, onto one app. So the app has two sides, the seller, which is the bond seller, in this case, uh, could be a government user or other user. And then on the other side is the investor, and both of them can see this, this level of transparency. Now, the reason for use of blockchain in that green uh, transparency is much the same as the use of blockchain in other, in other contexts. It is to ensure provenance of the, in this case, carbon credit, to ensure it's not reused. No, and also I think that you mentioned the, the uses of technology and finance, and in this instance, you're... you're putting together a network of Internet of Things, which would report the daily output of the solar panels, would report uh, the, you know, the you've got uh, valid, provable uh, inputs uh, that come out of all the various sensors. So that really reassures the bond owners in terms of the validity uh, and checking of the output. Yeah, correct. Exactly. Yeah. And I do want to just say that um, uh, Hashkey Group was a member of one of the uh, subgroups, Project Genesis. Um, and thank you for including us in that. So that's been a, a, a very good project to be involved in. Yeah. So Hashkey provided a perspective on the use of IoT for, for this kind of purpose. And in some for, for this specific prototype, 
because sometimes with prototypes, you need to simplify to be able to execute it and certainly to execute it within a reasonable budget. Um, so, so we use this, this blockchain uh, tracking mechanism for the renewable energy that is being generated. I think um, that the perspective of Hashkey is that this can go a lot further through the use of IoT devices. And in my understanding, in China, quite a lot of progress is being made on using IoT devices for, for monitoring all these different ESG aspects. So I think um, the use of broader IoT and, and maybe on top of that, AI is actually also a, a huge future opportunity. But I, I think we just need to go step by step. But uh, probably China is more advanced on this than many other places. Yeah, well, China is um, one country I know of that has blockchain as a national development priority. Uh, so they're very much embedded in seeing ways that this can help them going forward. Yeah. Now, Benedict, we've talked about CBDCs and green finance. What are some of the other priorities uh, that you're focused on for the years ahead? So for uh, actually, I would say we're, we're going year by year. But as mentioned earlier in, in this discussion, uh, the Enbridge project is quite a significant project because it involves four central banks at current, which is the um, Digital Currency Institute of the People's Bank of China, the HKMA, the Bank of Thailand, and the CBUAE. But for such a payment infrastructure to eventually make sense, um, it needs to involve even more markets, right? So I don't view this in some as, as a one-year project that is a multi-year project one last question for you uh benedict um when we think of DeFi, we think of uh speed that's not always the first word that comes to mind when i think of reserve banks how are you finding the progress that on some of these innovation projects are the central bankers kind of responding with a, a different tempo uh given the the pace of change hitting the DeFi uh, and other financial markets? Yeah, I think if you consider, uh, as I said, um, I don't think there's many many places that can say that I've, they've expanded to seven geographies in, in less than two years, right? That's pretty significant. Um, and it's even more significant if you consider that the BIS itself only has three offices, which is Basel in Switzerland and then Hong Kong and Mexico. These are the three BIS footprint places. But for the BIS Innovation Hub in less than two and a half years now, we will have seven footprints across the globe. So I, I think it shows we can actually move quite fast. The, the other thing is, if you look at our website, you will see the number of projects. If you click on themes on our website and then you click on the tiles, you will see the number of projects. I would say it's quite impressive, the number of projects we've undertaken. Um, and if you consider as well that that behind that, there's all the other policies that need to work as well. For example, for a lot of our projects, we engage vendors, right? So we also need the procurement system to work, the legal system to work. And for all of that to have worked for that amount of expansion in that limited amount of time for that number of projects and that number of new people, because we're about 60 new people by now, that shows that if people want to act with greater speed that they can. The only caveat I would put to that is that the currency is the most valuable and the most sacred thing you could say in an economy. Um, and therefore, um, before central banks roll out a new digital currency, whether it is a new retail digital currency or a new payment infrastructure, as I described with the Enbridge, 
before they do that, a lot of due diligence needs to be done, a lot of security checks. And, and I think that's quite different, honestly, from some of the pace of innovation in the private sector. And, and you will also um, know, right, that there's a lot of hacks in the private sector. Now, go figure if one of these central bank digital currencies got hacked, right? It wouldn't be something that hits the media and the next day it's forgotten about. Somehow in crypto, it hits the media, 400 million is gone, the next day is forgotten about. Let's say if any of the world's leading central banks currency in digital format or its payment infrastructure got compromised, that wouldn't be forgotten about in a day. The speed of launching projects has been very, very fast. Um, however, these projects will be subject to a lot more scrutiny before they, they actually hit the life stage. So if you look at um, the ECNY, if, if I am working here on my recollection, but the research started in 2014, and we're now 2022. No, look, we really appreciate the work of the BIS because we understand a central bank digital currency is not an ICO or an NFT drop, <laughs> um, and it needs to uh, withstand a much higher rigor yeah. um, and uh, certainly, as you say, be tamper-proof. Benedict Nolans, thank you so much for joining us today on Crypto Savvy. It's been a great conversation, and thank you for uh, helping us better understand the world of CFI. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you. Fascinating conversation in the way the central banks are responding to the technology changes and their response to DeFi, green finance, and ways of coordinating on central bank digital currencies. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating. And wherever you get your podcast, hit like, hit subscribe, and listen to Crypto Savvy. Thank you. I'm Walter Jennings of the Hashkey Group. We appreciate you listening. Thank you for listening to Crypto Savvy, the podcast that delivers the essentials brought to you by Hashkey Group.